Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So we've been going through this uh, series, and um, we've been learning a lot of different things from a lot of... Is everybody reading along with us? You're starting to get through the Bible. It's kind of exciting to get all these different things. And we learned about the history of the Bible. We've learned in Genesis and uh, the book of the law, uh, the book of Kings, and some history. And then there's certain books that are coming that are going to talk about wisdom in life. And one of those books we're going to talk about today is uh, the book of Job. And today, I definitely pray that you guys will be encouraged. I have a gift of encouragement, and I want to be able to use that gift to encourage you today, because good things do happen all the time, but not good. even though when things seem bad, things are always happening, and God is always up to doing something great and working for our good. How many believe that this morning? Amen. Amen. So let's look at the book of Job. The summary of the book of Job, it may be the only book of the Bible that is written for the book of Genesis. There's been some discussion that dates the book of Job around the time of Abraham and before the great flood of Noah. It is a heartwarming book for those going through an intense period of trial and testing. Anyone can relate to Job, while also giving thanks that situations are rarely reaching the level of pain and suffering in which Job found himself, that all his property was restored in twice as much he had before he was given an equal, and also given an equal amount of children that he lost. It also brings hope to many during their time of struggle. And that's one of the words that I want to just keep, it'll, you'll keep that, hearing that word, hope. Just remember that word, hope. Fun fact about this book is that the order of the books of the Bible were rearranged. So when it was translated, when it was translated from Greek, I mean from Hebrew to Greek. So this book actually came before, you know, before, during the time, it was written during the time of Abraham and after the book, after the time of Noah. So it was like during the time of Genesis, it was written, and it was before the other books of the law. But when it was changed to Hebrew, it, they rearranged the books, and now we're going, as you see, as today, it goes into these books of poetry and wisdom. So the book of Job is 42 chapters. That's quite a few chapters. Um, it's a literary type of poetry and wisdom. And in these writings are a lot of symbolism, a lot of philosophy, and just ways in, 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 in which life you live life. And so there's a lot of wisdom in this book, as well as the ones that are to come. Uh, it, period, it, it covers a period around 2100 BC to 1900 BC. And the author is not known. So we can break down the book of Job like this. 
Job chapter 1 through 2, there's a deal with the devil concerning Job. Job chapter 3, it, sh- it shares his, you know, Job's feelings as things happen. Job chapter 4 through 31, that's a lot of talking, right? Job's friends share their, their understanding or their thesis, um, and Job responds. So they have their answers to what Job is going through, and Job responds. So you see that for, through, for those about 27 chapters. Then Job 32 through 37, you have the words of Elihu. And we're going to get to know all these characters, but I'm just going through this for us. Then you have Job chapter 38 through 41, the words of Job, words of God. So God answers Job. And in Job 42, chapter 42, 1 through 6, Job comes to a great realization in his, his confession. And then Job chapter 43, 7, verses 7 through 17, God's truth and restoration. So that's a lot of stuff happening. And, it, and, and to try to bring it down into a little bit, we're going to try to do that today. Y'all praying for me? Um, anybody praying for me? Amen. Are y'all praying for me out there? Put it in the chat, praying for you, Pastor Harold. <laughs> so there's three things in this book that we have in mind. The integrity. One is word integrity. The integrity of Job's relationship with God. Number two, justice. God's justice, is it fair? Is he fair? And three, hope. Hope in the time of trials and when bad things happen, as opposed to being in despair. How many would like to be, rather have hope than be in despair? And we all know that bad things happen all the time. But how many know that good things happen as well? Amen. So let's go through this. Job chapter 1 through 2, the deal concerning Job with the devil. So all the characters in the very beginning, this, this, this book just jumps right into it, all right? All the characters in the book are introduced in this set, and the stage is set. So Job is introduced, and he's a man that is described with complete integrity, a man who feared God and turned away from evil. And that's just amazing to be known as a man who fears God and turns away from evil. And we have Zig Ziglar, who's a great businessman, who talks about integrity like this. He says, with integrity, you have nothing to fear since you have nothing to, since you have nothing to hide. With integrity, you will do the right thing so you will have no guilt. So it appears that Job has this integrity where he has nothing to hide and nothing to fear, and he has no guilt because he's always choosing to do the right thing. Not only does he have integrity, it says that he has complete integrity. That's, that's pretty reliable. That's pretty reliable. So Job is described as a man with complete integrity, blameless and upright. He would pray. Now, this guy was so, was so blameless and upright that every day he had this practice. He would pray and give sacrifices every day for himself and for his family. 
So he has kids, he has a family, and sometimes these kids would have, you know, festivities, uh, festivals and, and parties, and, you know, if they got a little lit, they got a little lit, you know, uh, and something happened, you know, he would, he would have these sacrifices for them, for the sins that they've committed, that they knew of and didn't know of. So he was intercessing for his family as well as praying to God every day. How many of us can say that? It's amazing that some of us, I remember when I was younger, some people would say, man, it don't take all that to walk with God. Let your hair down. You know, um, you don't have to pray all the time. You don't, it just made it seem like you didn't have to practice being in God's presence all the time. Meanwhile, we see Job in the good times. He is always in God's presence, and he's always praying not only for himself, but those he loves. It's a pretty good example of integrity. So Job was also called the most interesting man. No, I'm kidding. He was also called the greatest man among all the men of the East. And the fun fact about this is that Job wasn't an Israelite. He came from the land of Uz. So it, it was even before the covenant happened that this book of wisdom was, was, was written that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Now, it wasn't that he was the greatest in the context of, uh, he was, well, he was considered the greatest in the context of wealth and prosperity. So Job's possessions, he had a lot of stuff. And I don't know what the currency was, but I can tell you what he had. He had seven, and he was a family man too, because that's the first thing that they talk about. He had seven sons, he had three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. Somebody had to take all of that. Somebody had to take care of all of that. So he has all this stuff. So he's not only just right with God, he's got a lot of possessions too. He's, he's one of the greatest men of the East at the time. So now we see who Job is. Then we're transformed into heaven. We're transported into heaven, heaven's court, where all the angels come and they present themselves before God. And who's there? Who's there? Man, that's funny how y'all go to that. Who's there first? On his throne, having all power. It's funny how we just go to Satan, you know. But we do learn in this book how we have an enemy but we also have a great friend. We have a defender. We have one that has all power. And he's introduced first. That's just funny how you guys went to me. Wow, God's good. So he needs no introduction. He's on the throne. He does. He's ruling and reigning over everything. And the angels come to present themselves before him. And in this moment, we see his almighty power. We see his majesty. And Satan, well, Speak of the devil. Here comes Satan. Speak of the devil. So here comes Satan to this meeting, which shows us that he doesn't have all the power, which shows us that he's a fallen angel. But yet he comes to this meeting. And God says to him, not like God doesn't know, but God says to him, where are you coming from? And he says, I'm coming from Rome and the earth. 
And he's saying this like as if he had all power. He's swagging still. Just the pride is just coming out of him. And I'm coming all around, you know, in the earth. But then God directs this whole conversation that's about to occur. And he asks Satan one question. Have you considered my servant, Job? Wow. God has one person in mind. He's putting his money on one person in mind, Job. And basically, God says that Job, again, has complete integrity. In Satan's name, he's actually the Satan, which means the accuser. So he says to him, Satan, he says to him, and Satan is like the prosecutor here, and he pleads this case, and he says to God that, um, he says, wait, and Satan, the prosecutor, pleads his case and puts justice, God's justice and Job's integrity on child. So Satan says to God that Job only worships you because he has wealth and that Job would curse you to your face if you took everything away from him. And so he believes that this is, you know, this is his case right now, and he can count on that. God says, okay, do what you want, but do not touch his life. So we even see in this, God is orchestrating all this. He's allowing this to happen. But there's hope in this. You know why? Because God, even though God's allowing this, the one thing that Satan can't do is take his life. So who's in control of this whole situation? There's hope because God is in control, even from the very beginning. I get excited about that. See, hope is something that you hold on to. Even when bad things happen, God is in control. So here we go. Now it starts to happen. And one day, Job gets four unspeakable messages. Here comes the messenger. And he says, the oxen were stolen and all the servants were killed. And all were killed but the one messenger that brought that message. Then here comes another one. The sheep were burned up with all the servants. All of the, everything was burnt up, even the servants, but the one messenger that brought the message. The Chaldeans, a raid party of Chaldeans came and they took all his camel. And then... I mean, I can't imagine all this happening in one day. He's losing everything in one day. And then the fourth one comes. Your children were feasting. Your three daughters and your seven sons were feasting and got crushed as the wind came and made the house collapse on them. That's a lot. That's a lot. Satan wasn't playing. He was like, let's see what happens now. And what does Job say? How does he respond? I know what I would say, but I can't say that here. So we're just going to see what Job says. Job chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell on the ground in worship and said, first of all, He's worshiping God. His first response is to worship God. He shaved his head. I got that one. He shaved his head. And then he worships God and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked will I depart. 
the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Let me just process that. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So many other things he could have done, but his first response was to praise God, to keep his foundation and anchor in worshiping God. So God pretty much knew the heart of his servant. Does he, and he knows your heart as well, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> so we go back into heaven. Round one, done. Here comes round two. This time, stage is set again. Another meeting. God is on his throne. He's in control. Satan's coming again. And he's got his money on this one. This time, Satan makes another case against them. And he said, he will curse you if you take his health. And if you take his health, he will surely curse you to your face. So Job is then afflicted with painful sores from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Job tries to comfort himself by scraping his sores with a broken piece of pottery. So he probably had some kind of broken pottery glass, and he's scratching these sores, trying to give himself peace. Okay? So he loses his, he loses his possessions, he loses his family, and he loses his health, and he's sitting there trying to give himself peace. Now, the funny thing about this is that Job's wife is seeing all this. And the thing about it is when you go through things, you're not, you're not the only one going through. People around you, it's like a ripple effect. People around you see these things. And the ones closest to you, when you cry, you ever heard that term? When you cry, I cry. When you hurt, I hurt. So could you imagine Job's wife The pain she feels watching the one she loves going through this ordeal brings her to the point that she she gives Job the worst advice ever. She says to Job, curse God and die. She speaks out of her emotions and not her faith. She's consumed with the circumstance as opposed to her faith in God. So Job chapter 2 Verse 9 and 10 says, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Wow. She's like, I can't believe you are still, enough is enough. I can't take it. Just watching you. Curse God and die. And so he replies, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. It's not only hard for the ones suffering during those times of trials, but also for the ones you love to see you suffer as well. And so Job, this ripple effect is continuing to go. Job has these three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they come over to see his friends, but they don't recognize the Job that they see. They don't see the possessions and the riches. They see this bald, frail man with sores all over his body. 
And as they see him, they sit down with him for seven days and they weep with him. So they were just there, being there. And I could imagine that was comfort enough that he has friends that are just there. And they mean well. You'll see what I'm talking about later. So then in this moment, Job is sharing his feelings. Job suffers so much loss and illness that he basically wishes that he was never born. That is a lot of pain. He pretty much curses the day he was born. He doesn't curse God, but he curses the day he was born. He didn't despair in the loss of his possessions or health, but rather the distance he felt from God. But God uses this time of testings and growth to make Job's relationship with God not an academic one, but grow it into an intimate one. See, God was using this for Job not to just know of him with information, but to know him intimately with a revelation of who he is so that he would be transformed in his relationship with God, to know him in such an intimate way. And that was God's purpose. But when you're going through things, sometimes you can't can't see that in that moment. Job's faith was tested, but he never let go of his hope in God. Matthew Henry, who was a great Bible scholar, said, where does our strength come from? It is depending strength. So our strength that we even think we have, our strength comes from our dependency. It's depending strength. Because in God, we love, and in God, we move, and this is our hope. So our strength and our hope comes from our dependence on God. See, hope goes beyond your understanding. Hope goes beyond your circumstances. And Job's relationship with God gave him hope even when he didn't understand. In spite of his roller coaster of emotions, as to how could this happen? How could all this happen? Why? And the greatest question of all, why did bad things happen to good people? And we all sometimes ask that. Why is this happening to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? So here he is going through this ordeal, whether it's six months to a year, we know it, it was, we know it was seven days at least, but now we have him sitting with his friends. And so his friends talk to him for 27 chapters. Just a lot of talk, 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 talk. And they mean well, but they're coming from a limited knowledge of God or a natural, like an, a, a common sense of their own understanding. So they meant well, but as they tried to show their love for their friend, and in their limited and assumed understanding of God, they passed judgment on Job, as if to say he was being punished for a sin that he committed or something he did. And they do this. It's crazy how most of the chapters have them doing all the talk, 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 talk. It was commonly assumed at that time that man, and man does an understanding of how God works and how he worked in that time in their mind or their arguments, their arguments was this. 
Good things happen to good people. That makes sense, right? You do good, you get good. It's pretty simple. Simple, quote, unquote. Bad things happen to bad people. You do bad, you get bad. You must be bad. You might not be good, because if you were good, bad things wouldn't be happening to you. So this doesn't really sound that comforting when you lose everything, huh? Could you imagine how he's feeling? And the thing is, see, this kind of understanding, I don't want to get ahead of myself. This kind of understanding of how God's justice works limits how God is able to do anything and implies that God is not sovereign and he's able to work in any way he sees fit to reveal himself to his people or even bring us to an understanding of who he is. So when bad things happen, that means God's not good? And when bad things happen, that means you're bad? And that means that God can't use bad things to do bring good? You see how this, this, natu- this, this kind of simple common sense in that time does not apply to God? It limits God. It makes God, puts him in a box where he can only work in certain situations that we put him in. Meanwhile, in Romans 8.28, we see it says, and we know that something. Okay, somebody's listening. And we know that, you know, certain things. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want y'all to remember there's hope because God works all things. And I'm speaking to myself, but God works all things for his good. Meanwhile, we see that God is using this very, this is just mind-blowing to me, but God is using this very test to reveal himself, not only to Job, but allows this to happen in order to reveal himself to all of his children for all ages to come. To this very day, God allowed all this to happen to show us that we can trust him during hard times and that we can have hope in him even when things seem hopeless around us. Have anyone ever been in that place? You just don't know how this is going to change. You've probably been through a loss of a loved one. You've been misunderstood, and the only thing you have is the hope that God is able to do all things. There's hope, everybody. There's hope. See, Job had a better understanding of righteousness in that he could not earn the right standings with the holy God, but that it is a gift to those who trust God's character and promises. And that's all that After everything he lost, his health and all these other things, the only thing that he had was God's promises and trusting God's character. That's all he had in this crazy time. And to hear what Job says during this time, he still holds on and he says, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. 
Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How many of us are able to trust God to the bitter end? Or how about this? How many of us can even trust God till our last breath? God says it's possible. And he didn't just have Job go through this for him to go through that and say, man, I went through a bad time. It was recorded for all time so that you could be reminded for your season that he's there. And even when your friends are not there, because you know what? Man's not perfect. Man's not perfect, but God is. I hope I'm encouraging somebody today. And I could remember, I could be, I could just imagine even David probably reading this and saying, you know, just remembering and saying in Psalms 23, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I could imagine that he reflected on the trial that Job had. I could imagine him reflecting probably during a hard time and saying that even though I walked through the valley, he wrote those words being reminded and grounded in God, and he had hope in God during a hard time. See, Job knew, and this is the hard thing as well, Job knew that he lived a righteous life before God, even before everything went wrong in his life, and that he knew his integrity with God was intact. See, don't forget that God himself said Job was a man of integrity. Job's faith and hope in God was not based on his emotions or his circumstances. It was based on his relationship and dependence on God. See, sometimes in the church, our holiness is based on our status or how well we're put together. Sometimes we we feel like we we have to be accepted. We, We have to be accepted by keeping up this charade of life, looking that everything is going well and things are going good in order to be accepted and loved in the church. This is the case that Satan makes, that we only bless God because everything's going well. Sometimes you walk by somebody and you say, God bless you. How you doing? I'm blessed and highly favored. Meanwhile, you're going through the hardest time of your life, but you got to keep up this facade of holiness. I would love to, I love our church because in this church, when you are going through, you can go to somebody and say, when I ask you how you're doing, I've had people say, Pastor, I've had a really rough week, a really rough day. And that's when I jump into action. Because God is more concerned about you than your circumstance. And we, as people of God, should be more concerned about each other than what we look like, because we all are hurting. We're all not perfect. I just want to, I'm going to get off that uh, horse, but I'm telling you, it's just such a wonderful thing that we can be who we are as we love God and love each other. Amen? See, that was the, see, I know that um, 
their circumstances and things. That was Satan's, uh, you know, that was Satan's um, accusation. But God knew the heart of his servant Job. See, God knows your heart. God knows the heart of the servants. Now, this is pretty, pretty intense. God knows the heart of the servants he can count on to get the glory out of their lives. So sometimes you're not just going through for yourself. People are watching how you go through. People are seeing your integrity, whether it's intact or not. People are watching if you're going to curse God and complain and and die, or are you going to bless God at all times? And it's his praise is going to continually be in your mouth. And so I could see him just feeling misunderstood, being judged, being encouraged to just curse God and die and get it over with. Give it up. So here comes Job's response, chapter 30 through 31. It's, cra- it's crazy how all the ch- talk, talk, talk took all that time, but Job's response didn't take long. So Job begins to take an account of all his works and integrity and holiness and pleads his case of why he doesn't deserve all the bad things that God seems to have allowed him to go through. Job is on a wild roller coaster, and his wife and his friends have given him bad counsel. He's been, they judge him unwisely. He's lost everything, and he's looking to God. Now he's looking to God to answer him as if to bring God down to his level. Why are you doing this to me? See, when things don't go in our way, we feel like God owes us sometimes. That's a very dangerous place to be in because it can make you start to resent God as if he owes you, when ultimately we owe him everything. The creator owes us nothing. I'm going to say that again. The creator owes us nothing, but creation owes the creator, because we wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for him. So here, this battle that he's going through, it's a human battle. I can understand how he feels, the humanity of what he's going through, and he didn't even necessarily deserve it. But yet he's calling on God because he has, he's looking for an answer. Have you ever been there when you said, God, please answer me because I don't see the way out. I don't know how much more I can take. I'm only human and I'm hurting. Have you ever been there before? See, deep down, Job just wanted to hear from God and to know that God was near. I didn't know I'd do all this. Job was one decision away from gaining it all and drawing closer to God or giving it up and losing it all and turning away from God and losing his spiritual life or even physical life in the process. And Job was just crying out to God. Verse 35, Job 31, verse 35, he says, Oh, that I had someone to hear. Hear me. I signed my defense. It sounds like we're in court still. 
and let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. And so here we go. Job chapter 32 through 37. Another five chapters. Talk, talk, talk. Elihu is one of the youngest of the guys. He's the youngest of the friends and he wants to contribute to this conversation. But only winds up saying the same thing the other friends have said for another five chapters. See, he was the youth. He was the next generation watching. And like I said before, when you go through tests and trials, everyone is watching how you go through. Because we're in the church. We're the family. And you have, your, you have this generation watching, but you have these youth and young people watching too. And they're looking up and saying, and they're, and they're either learning from us how to judge people or they're learning from us how to be there for people. So Elihu, in his best way, is trying to be eloquent and for the next five chapters is judging him as well and saying the same thing. What are we teaching our young people? There's so much in this book, but I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet because I'm known to be a long-winded preacher. Y'all laughing. Pray for me. So, so Job chapter 33 through 41, 38, I'm sorry, through 41, here comes God because Job is at his last. And I can identify with that. I can identify with that. There are times when I say, God, I've prayed it. God, please, I don't know how much more I could take, but I'm going to trust you. And I just need to know when. Can you show me when? Can you show me why? I've been there before. And I would imagine you've all been there too. And here comes God in his, in his wonderful way. God answers Job with a series of questions. But it's important to know that when God begins to ask questions, he isn't asking because he lacks knowledge. He already knows what is knowable. He does this so the person on the other end will take it in and put it through a filter by which he can process things. It's a way of driving the truth deeper into one's understanding. It's just like a kid who's sitting there asking for mom and dad to come, and here comes dad. Here comes dad stepping in. And you know, kids in their immature way and being spoiled. I want a drink of water. They just, they just know what they know. And then here comes your dad saying, I'm dad and you the child. Remember who you are and remember who I am. And here comes Father God. It says, then the Lord spoke to Job. Well, Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 4. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. So he's coming, his presence, and you know God is such powerful, and he just brings himself into this storm. And he says, he said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I will ask you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid down the earth's foundation? 
tell me, just tell me if you understand. And he goes on. God is asking him questions, not necessarily that he is expecting an answer, but he's asking questions to prove a point to Job. So he's asking him, where were you when all these things, you know, where were you when everything was created? Where were you when all these things in creation and in the universe were given their assignments? And I'm just breaking it down. Your homework is you can go home and read all this for yourself, and I recommend that you do. He talks about these great and dangerous and powerful animals that were created, the behemoth and the leviathan. He's proud of these creations, even though they may be great and dangerous, they are magnificent specimens that God has created in this complicated and crazy world. See, God shares revelation after revelation of who he is. The truth that God wants Job to remember is how small he is in relation to God. Job can't condemn God, and God deeply and desperately loves Job so much that he brings him face to face with the blessed reality that, Job, you're small. You are little in this big scheme of things. And until Job understands that, he's going to be consumed with the situation because he can't see past that. And God says, wait a minute, Job. I love you too much to get sidetracked with what's going on right here. I need to remind you who I am in your life. So in, chapter, in Job chapter 40, verses 8 through 9, God says this, would you discredit my justice? That's a smack in the face. Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can your voice thunder like his? These are some pretty deep questions. Does anybody have the answer to these? I don't. I could see myself sitting there like, just kind of getting reminded of who I am in the presence of an almighty God. See, the most beautiful thing about it is that God has given us his resume to read for ourselves should we ever get distracted of who he really is. So if if you're going through something, read his word. Look at his resume and remember who he is in the midst of your situation. Can I get an amen? All right. I feel a little better now. I got an amen. I love interaction. It's really good. So Job's confession, Job chapter 42, 1 through 6, Job's confession. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked Who is that obscures my plans without knowledge? 
And what I love is how Job is humble in this situation. He says, surely I spoke of things I don't understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you. You shall answer me. And this is the most, if you don't remember anything else, remember this verse. Verse 5 says, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. If not for any other reason, the most beautiful thing that came out of this thing is that he knew of God in his mind and knowledge and the information. But when he had experienced God and seen God, he was transformed through the revelation of who God is. How many would want a revelation to be transformed today? Amen. Both hands up. Hallelujah. (laughs) See, and this is the thing we got to remember. To admit we're wrong is not easy. Because often we will discard our mistakes and sins as though it's no big deal. So we have Adam, Cain, Saul, and all our examples of who did not humble themselves before God. And due to their selfishness and pride and failure, they, they didn't admit and confess their error of their ways, and their lives did not end well. That pride will keep you from humbling yourself and confessing the sins of your life. And as you do that, that keeps you away from God. It's a wall that is built up. But when you humble yourself, when you humble yourself before your great God, then God can work with you because the walls are brought down. See, Job battled the sin of presumption. His presumption was a disrespectful attitude due to the lack of true knowledge of God and God's goodness. Sometimes we can find ourselves consumed with us in our situation and feeling like God owes us. So sometimes that sounds familiar, that through our little bit of knowledge of God, we find ourselves being disrespectful of who he is due to that. See, the most powerful encounter for Job was not so much that God said, you know, what God said, but God's simple and loving, powerful presence that changed Job's perspective. Because God is merciful, Job was granted access to the throne of grace. And we too now are invited to confidently come into his presence through Jesus Christ. Job didn't have that. Job, Job, all he had was I so admire that. All Job had was faith. How many of us have that kind of faith? Job had to have an anchor in God so that this could come to pass, so that we could be reminded. And then Jesus comes, and because of his blood, we can go straight to the Father, to his throne. That veil was broken. And the sin that separated us from God, the blood united, bridged it. So when you're going through and you don't understand, you can go 
Hey God, what's up? I'm not, I'm not feeling too good right now. Can you, I gotta holler at you for a minute because uh, this is kind of crazy and I don't know how much more I can take. How many of you can really talk real with God sometimes? Be honest. Am I the only one that talk like this to God sometimes? People come my way sometimes. I'm like, Father, keep me near the cross because this one, whoo. Thank you, Jesus. But it's real. Jesus died for all that. Amen. You can clap your hands. You're happy. Go ahead. Clap your hands in the name of Jesus. See, after enduring unspeakable tragedy, Job now had an understanding of the Almighty. It caused him to acknowledge his wrong thinking and retract his sinful statements. Job repented of cursing the day of his birth. Job repented of his desire to die. Job repented of his complaints against God. Job repented of his despair. And Job admitted admitted his presumptions were beyond his knowledge or ability to know. What a difference God makes when he steps into the narrative and directs everyone's attention away from the circumstance and onto himself. Interestingly, God doesn't tell Job why he was suffering. God doesn't answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? But instead, God tells Job to focus on who God is. And Job's entire outlook was changed as a result. So when you're going through, what is God saying? Bad things are going to happen. And we may not understand. But if you focus on me, I'll take you through it. I'll give you strength. I'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. And even if you don't see the end of that, you will see me. Not only will you see me, you will be with me in eternity. So no matter how it pans out, we win. Can I say it again? No matter how it pans out, we win. Hallelujah. Oh, it's hard. I'm not going to stand here and act like it's easy. The humanity, our flesh. See, trials don't, trials in our flesh, trials make us do this to God. Why is this happening? Why am I going through this? I can't take it anymore. You see where I'm stepping, right? But in the spirit, we find ourselves getting, God, I need you. God, I'm holding on to you. God, I can't let go. God, I don't want to, I can't lose you. God, I need you. This is where God wants you. And sometimes it's going too easy for you. And he'll use that thing to bring you right back. Because he loves you too much. He loves you too much to lose you. 
And I've seen where people were been blessed by God. And I said, don't forget God. And I've seen them. I've seen them walk away from God. But some of you, God is saying, I love you too much. It ain't that easy because I need you to see me. Because I want to be there for you. We made it through Job chapter 42, verse 7. God's truth, restoration. See, in life, we're bound to be misunderstood, falsely accused, and put into situations where we feel compelled to defend ourselves. But how much better, though, to focus on staying close to the Lord and allowing him to be our defense? He can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And he will, and, and, and he, he will, it's not only hard, and he will, it's not only hard for the one suffering during those hard times and trials, but also for the ones that love you to see you suffer as well. Because he is just, and he's a just defender of those who he entrusts themselves, who entrust themselves to him. God is there. God is there, and he's, he knows your heart. He knows he can count on you. And he's probably in heaven saying, have you considered my brother or my sister in Christ fellowship? And we always say, God, use me. God, use me. And it's supposed to look like this. Sometimes it don't look like this. Sometimes it doesn't look like this. When you say, God, use me, God is up there saying, have you considered my sister and my brother in Christ fellowship? And the devil's like, I'll take them out. And you, I'll show you the curse to your face. Have you ever felt that way? You just won't give it up. God is saying, keep your eyes on me. You see, the question is not, when do I get out of this mess or this situation? But rather, what do I have to learn from this situation? Those are the questions. And the question is not, why am I going through this? But the question is, who is there? Who is there with me in this situation? So we got to be careful how we Ask our questions sometimes, because the right questions will bring you into the right place. And the wrong questions, those questions are all about you. Whereas God says, direct your questions to me and I'll answer everything for you. So why do bad things happen in life? Y'all want my answer? I don't know. I don't have the answer. God only knows. But there is a God that is for us and with us. We encourage to look to him and trust that God is going to bring something good out of the things, out of this for us and for others. God gets the glory out of your life. God gets the glory out of your life. Job developed a greater understanding of God's transcendence. He came to know God intimately and trust the almighty God who ruled above all. Dark circumstances and difficult people did not rule Job's responses. I'm going to say that one more time. Dark circumstances and difficult people did not rule Job's responses. He trusted God 
to reign over every detail. I'm going to say it one more time for somebody. Are you trusting God to reign over every detail? The word says this too shall pass. There's so many scriptures for every situation in your life. And he can rule and reign over every detail. He can bring you out. But what's more important, bringing, being brought out or being brought closer? That's the question. Do you want to be brought out just to be brought out to make it easy? Or do you want to learn something and be brought closer to God? So even after this, Job chapter 42, verse 10. And after Job had prayed, this is, this is amazing. Job not only prays for himself, he prays for his friends. His love is overflowing, even in spite of what kind of friends they were. He's still praying for a change. He's still believing God for a change, even when those people in his life were more like sandpaper and smoothing him out. He's praying for them. And the Lord, after he has this, and someone else had that same heart. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So the Lord restored the, restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much that he had before and gave him the same amount of children he had, had before. But what's more important, that he got twice as much? Is that the moral of the story? Thank you. It's not the moral of the story. But it does show you God's promises there. It doesn't mean double-double all the time. But it means that God's promises will bring you. It could be a double portion of your faith in him. It could be a double portion of an anointing in him. A double portion of forgiveness if you have a hard time doing that. A double portion of love that wasn't there. A double portion of worship to him if you didn't have it before. It's not always physical possessions. It could be spiritual that God gives you double. How many want double in the spirit? Because the Bible says if you seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will be added to you. I got one last thing. I know I'm about to get kicked out of here. It's hard being a long-winded preacher. Pray for me, y'all. So, I'm, you know, I, 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 me and my wife, my kids got bigger, and we start traveling. Travel a lot now. So, uh, you know, my good friend, Larry and Barb, shout out to y'all. We uh, went to Atlantic City, and uh, we went to this place called the Abseekin Lighthouse. And at the Abseekin Lighthouse, between 1847 and 1856, at least 64 ships were lost on the coast of the Abseekin shore. And so there's an anchor there as a reminder of these ships that were lost. And I don't know if there's a picture of me sitting on that uh, anchor. Me and my wife was there. Let me show that picture. Oh, and she's so cute with her little glasses on. Yeah. And then I, I was there too. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, so <laughs> but this anchor was there to remind them of the ships that were lost. But how many know we have an anchor that reminds us 
to hold strong into God's power? How many are anchored in the word God? How many are anchored to not be drifted away by the circumstances of life? How many have that are anchored in God? Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So then, as I'm looking at this, because, you know, I'm trying to see God in everything. You know, it's like, wow, God, that anchor. You know, God, we have an anchor. And I'm like, that's our word for the church, anchor. You know, and we're anchored. And Job was anchored. But then I saw something that was even, even more just uh, revealing. And it was a greater revelation that just blessed my soul. So I brought it here to us in Elizabeth. The Absecon Lighthouse was built in 1857. It's noted that after that lighthouse was built, not a single ship was wrecked again. This lighthouse stood as a beacon to guide the ships into the shores on the coast so that they would not, fall, they would not be wrecked again. Not a single ship was lost. How many know that we have a light that shines, that guides and directs us in hard times? And it came as Jesus died. I know y'all saying Jesus is the light. But how many know that God has given us the Holy Spirit? See, Job didn't have that. You have the spirit in the presence of God, you are the temple in which God dwells. And whenever you, have, whenever you have questions, whenever you're hurting, he can speak to you. He's the light. We not only have an anchor, we're anchored, but we're guided by the light of the Holy Spirit that came through Jesus Christ. God gave us the Holy Spirit as a light to guide us through life as Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice. And I, why do you take the picture now? I love the picture. Can I have a picture, please? Y'all like that picture over there? No? Yeah. Shout it out. Lighthouse, lighthouse. Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I'm just so proud of that. I just believe it. So John chapter 14, and I promise you this is the last one. Verses 25 through 27, the message says, I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you, and he will remind you of all the things I have told you. I am leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace, I don't leave you the way you used, you used to being left, feeling abandoned and bereaved. So don't be upset and don't be distraught. God gave the promise not to leave you, but he gave you the Holy Spirit on the inside so that as you read God's word, it will guide you and remind you. How many know sometimes we need to be reminded? We need to be reminded. So how many are encouraged that there's hope? There's hope. There's hope. Your integrity, your integrity 
every day. Hold on to that. Your integrity. Can God count on you? Can God count on you to stay with him? Amen. I know that there's this song called Gyra. I know Maverick City. Y'all know about Maverick City. And it says, and, and there was this song that uh, Chandler Moore wrote when he came home, I guess, from being in some kind of, you know, he was doing a concert somewhere. And when he came back from that, he found his apartment or his home burned to the ground. Now, he could have said, why, 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 me, me, me. But I could imagine him being there and, and going to God and blessing God. And, and as he allowed the Holy Spirit to speak with him, he put a pen to the paper and he wrote, Jara, you are enough. Jara, you are enough. I will be content in every circumstance. Jaira, you are enough. Forever enough, more than enough. You're always enough. <laughs> Woo! Forever enough. You're more than enough. You're always enough. Woo! Let me just stop. Let me just stop. Can we stand to our feet? Hallelujah. God is more than enough. God is more than enough. And I know how hard it is sometimes to try to see hope in a hard time. I know sometimes it's hard to be reminded. Sometimes we need to be reminded. And sometimes your friends just don't have the answers. And sometimes your loved one is so so hurt watching you that they don't have the answers. But how many know Jesus came that we may have the answer on the inside? And I don't want you to have this facade that you got to have it all together today. Jesus came for the broken. Jesus came for the lost. He said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And he showed you through Job. I can count on him. And if I can count on Job, can I count on you? God wants to put his money on you. He believes in you. How many know he's faithful? Hallelujah. Every head bowed. I didn't know. I hate when I cry. Um, I just want to open the floor to anybody going through, anybody that's hurting, anybody feeling like they need an answer, anybody that's trying to find a way to the light to remind them and strengthen them in hard times. If that's you, you can either come down to this altar or you can just lift your hand. But you need to know that God is there. God is waiting for you. And God wants to reveal himself to you so that you can say, God, yes, I'm small, but you are great.
You are greater than this thing I'm going through. You are greater than my questions. You are greater than my circumstance. And I just want to pray. If anybody wants to come up closer, you can. You can come to this altar. If not, just keep those hands up and we're going to touch and agree. Father, you see your people. You see their hearts, Lord. You see those, Lord, that are listening and tuning in, that are going through a time where they feel like, God, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. God, some of them are going through such a situation that they feel like you're the only thing that they have. But God, you are there for them. I pray that you will, you will come down and meet them. Let your presence come down as they call on your name. And you will meet them where they are, Lord. That they will humbly open their hearts to you. Put all the cards on the table so that you can lift them up and give them the winning hand. God, you see these situations and I don't know them all, but you do. You died for them all. You came down like you came to see Job. You literally came down and gave your life to be the answer for every question, to be the solution to every problem. And God, I lift them up to you. I lift us all up to you right now. Take every burden, God, as they draw and hold on to you, as they, as they, as they have their anchor into the ground, Lord God. As they are anchored in your word, let your, let your spirit bring a light to them, Father, and guide them along the way. The seasons and the hurting, God, it will be only be for a while. But as they hold on to you, God, you will make them understand all the more. And Lord, most of all, God, I pray that even as you give them double in the spirit, that even as you may bring them out, Lord, and monetary things may happen. I pray that the most important thing is that they draw closer to you, that they understand you, that they know you intimately, Lord, and that they hold on to you for dear life, God, knowing that you are the life and the light of all men. God, I thank you for what you've done, God. And I thank you that we are able to make it through because of your son and because of who you are and we are made in your image, we hold on to you and your promises. We focus on you and your promises in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. Be encouraged and walk in hope in Jesus' name. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. 
see you next time.